Welcome to another episode of Grinds My Gears. I'm Ashton, and we got one of my favorite people on the planet today. But before we get to him, log on to www.ashtonandariemma.com and get your uh, your gear. Winter is here, so we got the hoodies back in style. Uh, the Dilf Bod shirts, you want to represent that Dilf Bod. Uh, use discount code D-I-L-F, Dilf. Get yourself 10% off and look fly in some uh, sexy Dilf Bod shirts. So. Without further ado, I know him as Coach G, but his name is Gaten. So that's that's a, that's a beautiful name, Coach. I'm just saying. Thanks, champ. I appreciate that. Did you ever uh, did you ever use that with the ladies to like and put you know them? you know what? It's one of those things where like it's so unique that growing up as a kid, you hated it. Yeah. Because like it's so different, and like. I have to say my first name like at least three times before anyone would ever get it. Yeah. (laughs) And then, and so like, it was like, ah, G I'm just G. And then, but as you get older and you get more like mature and wise and you you start to learn more about yourself, you appreciate it more. Right. So like I didn't use it for the longest time. And then now I'm like, yeah, yeah, I use it more and more. Sure. I have a basic stupid English name. If I had like, like, um, uh like crew joey like i would have like his last name is de la freya so i would just i just put it like a little spanish spin on that uh, yeah I yeah can't, i can't do that i have a simple white person name but damn okay. <laughs> i have a, a, a fr- white french person's name yeah. so you but, can't go wrong <laughs> the white the white french version sounds better than <laughs> well, well i am white and french so i guess it kind of fits right but have you ever looked up your name like what it means well, the, the translation in, in English would be Jason. So, like, it's like a French verse. So, I used to tell people Jason all the yeah. time. But, like, the meaning, I haven't really looked deep into the meaning, to be totally honest with well, you. Well, it's still better than mine. Ashton yeah. means town under the ash tree. Mm. <laughs> could, there could be something deeper there. There could be something deeper. Anyway, uh, I like to ask every person I... I talk to you who's in the fitness business, like simply how has fitness and how has like business been for you? Obviously the last, what it's been 20 plus months. It's yeah. Um, how has it been for you in terms of keeping things going, keeping clients motivated and just keeping business running, given the fact that, you know, for, I mean, I, I think it's pretty knowledgeable now that fitness has been one of the most uh, scrutinized and attacked industries during this time, right? Yeah. And like, I think the first thing to preface, and I don't want this to sound arrogant because I think it might sound arrogant, but you know me well enough that I'm not that person that, you know, I don't see myself as someone who works in the fitness industry. Um, I think that's one term, you know, of people who, who work at like you know, gyms and, and these kind of places are in the fitness industry. I'm in the performance industry. So yeah. it's to me a lot, a lot different. Um, do I have a diversification of clients? Absolutely. I have world-class athletes. I have a 70 year old lady who had multiple surgeries that I work with. Right. But at the end of the day, whenever I get a new client, it's this whole screening process of why are you here? Is it to improve, you know, your quote unquote performance? And by the way, that includes wellness, you know, functionality, all of those beautiful things. And because I qualify people before they start working with me, I don't, I don't need to like motivate them. I don't need to see if they're going to show up. If 
something's closed or they, they can't get to me. Like they're already motivated because they've been qualified that like they'll find a way. So like in a roundabout way now to answer your question, I've been very grateful that this whole difficult situation hasn't really impacted me on the same level because the people I work with, we have found creative ways yeah. to continue doing what we do because they're not looking for an excuse to not show up, so to speak. Right. So again, I've been very fortunate throughout this whole thing. Obviously there's been like, especially in the very beginning, it was really hard because well, there was, was so much uncertainty lockdowns, right? Right? and by yeah. extreme lockdowns. Right. So you were looking over your shoulder. If you know, if you're going to the soccer field yeah. to work, train somebody cause you're outside or for whatever those things we're trying to do. But like, I have found ways, you know, we've done a lot of zoom type stuff, which is not my favorite thing, but it's better than nothing. So yeah. well, I've been pretty fortunate. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm me too. So I'm very, I'm, I'm good. Like I, I knew your situation was, was all right, but it's glad to hear that uh, it was able, you were able to do that too. And I felt the same way where <clears throat> the people you work with are highly motivated. Right. So I, right. I, I didn't really have an issue trying to get people at, to continue it wasn't it wasn't that because they were simply they just they wanted to train they wanted to be healthy they wanted to keep that up no matter what even if there was a lockdown even if there was whatever they still wanted to work right yeah a hundred percent um now i i've noticed this and i'm sure you noticed it too it's like you know how initially when um the lockdowns and this whole thing happened the the whole the media perception of like fitness was that like Gyms will be dead. Fitness will have a hard time coming back. But I've noticed like gyms are incredibly busy. Uh, people want to get back in there. Uh, I, from all the coaches I have and owners I know, <clears throat> their businesses are starting to boom again in terms of uh, new clientele. Have you noticed the same thing as as well as me? Um, it's funny because uh, Coach PK, who was um, I think he was our, he was on your show yeah, he already. On, yeah, he was on. Yeah my brother from another mother, we, we did a podcast on our podcast. I'm like, you know, strong athlete life. Yeah, no, you can, I don't care. I'm not my own podcast on your podcast, <laughs> but it's all good. Um, th this whole thing it actually, I'm going to kind of say the opposite for one second, but then I'm also going to probably agree with you in the end, but this has been like one of the biggest missed opportunities, you yeah. know, this, you know, and if you really want to get into this topic, I'm a bit of a, I'm on a fringe, I'm a fringe guy. So I'll, you know, I have very interesting things to say, but this is a huge opportunity for people to actually take charge of their health when it's been a quote unquote health crisis yeah. and people's health has been in danger or at risk. I would love to have believed that people would be like, you know what? I'm going to really take charge of my health now because when these things happen, because this is not going to be the last time something is going to no. happen. Trust me, get used to this. This is like, this is beginning. like Christmas every year, right? Um, so I think there's been a lot of missed opportunities for people to really jump in and take charge of their health. Yeah. However, like, I think now it's starting to unfold where the fear that people had that was preventing them from engaging in anything wellness-oriented uh, is starting to dissipate. And I think we're starting to see more new people come around and then you know for my business in the performance area the challenge was 
was obviously preparing athletes for sports that aren't existing at the time, right? Yeah. So like now that sports are really starting to come back in and teams and all these things are starting to come in, you're starting to see a little more people start to show up. But again, at the same time, I didn't lose anybody during this whole thing. Yeah. So it's kind of been consistent. Yeah. And uh, I mean, from what I've noticed, especially like in my, at our jujitsu club is a lot of new people have joined up and jumped in. And I think mostly it was, it's not necessarily because they were like sitting in, at home during the pandemic and lockdowns like, I can't wait to try jujitsu. I think it was oh. more, I think it was more of the fact that coming out of this thing, they're looking for people a sense of community and to, not necessarily I, cause I don't think I have, a, I have a few friends who are working at head office for like good life and stuff. It, it's, yeah. They're not, those organizations aren't taking upwards. It's the smaller gyms where they can provide that sense of community where they can provide an activity that people can go and do, whether it be CrossFit, whether it be anything, but they're around other people. And I think that as this continues, as the, like you said, the fear continues to dissipate, we'll see a lot more people like that because you know, the, the mental health aspect to everything that has gone on has been downplayed significantly. Like, uh, I don't think, <laughs> I, I know, you know what I'm talking about, but I think like the, I, I read this morning or yesterday, the, the opioid numbers, the numbers for opioid deaths and overdoses and they're through the roof. And it's just almost like we don't even care about those people and why they even took that action. Right, like those numbers didn't increase just by coincidence. They increases because of the circumstances of the situation. But it, even coming out of it, it's like we're still not talking about that. And there's still thousands and thousands of people that were good before, but they're not good now coming out of it. And those are the people that really need the attention and really need the help and really need, you know, services like we provide and other people provide to to bring them out of it. Right. Yeah, I think one interesting thing to your point is with this whole like lockdown thing and like gyms being closed, what's going to happen now? I think the value of the one-on-one, -on -one, let's just call it trainer for right now, is going to go through the roof because the people that were trainers before yeah, and once things closed down and they just did it because it was a job. There's a lot like this, you go to a good life or uh, a lot of these, you know, trainers, they're just doing it like it's just an everyday job for them. Yeah. They don't do it anymore. They went and started working somewhere else because that industry closed. So wherever they can work. So what's going to happen now is I think the quality of trainers and stuff is going to go up because the people that really wanted it to be their career, they're still in it. They're still in it. They and the people who were just doing it as a job. Yeah. They're gone. So I, and I guess I think the value of, of doing the one-on-one -on -one is definitely going to go up. And to your point, People are going to really want that human contact, that human connection, yeah. which they've been lacking. And I would like to believe they're going to appreciate that the value of it is much higher than they had previously thought. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I've encountered, I don't know if you encountered, is when people don't have to necessarily pay for it out of pocket, they don't uh, appreciate it as much. Like when I was working in a gym for a gym, there would be a lot of clients that came in that um, their work subsidized half of it or subsidized the whole thing as a part of a benefit package. And so what I noticed is sometimes those people would just miss sessions and wouldn't show up because they didn't have to, they didn't have the value for it, so to speak, because they didn't have to pay for it. 
right? And now coming out of a situation like this where health is at the for it's literally at the forefront of everything. Well, how much are you gonna are you willing to invest into your health? Because the key word is invest. I think uh paying is the wrong term to use. People think I'm paying somebody for exercise. No, I'm investing in my health. That's how I kind of phrase it to people when I talk to them. And I'm sure you do the same thing too, right? Yeah. One, like my background, one of my, you know, I hate this word of like credentials, but I'm a kinesiologist and basically a movement therapist is part of what I do. So as you know, I treat a lot of people with injuries and stuff like that as well. And for my whole career, people have been like, Oh, are you covered under benefits? And I'm like, absolutely not. And I'm actually happy about that. And it's exactly the point you said, because if it's coming under benefits, people do not appreciate it. They do not value it. If it's not coming out of their hard-earned money, the, the value of it is insignificant and they'll come and they'll go. It's like we talked about in the beginning, like qualifying somebody. Yeah. I qualify people to see if they're the real thing and, and if someone we're going to actually commit to, to actually get a result and do something. So same yeah. thing. Same thing. Now with um it's this whole thing is so it, it angers me talking about it sometimes but uh they they're always preaching like this is about health it's about your health and taking like we just talked about taking charge of your health um we obviously have a situation where there is a treatment that is being pushed out i don't want to get into the word because youtube tends to flag that shit sure, all the time sure but as much as I like YouTube, fuck YouTube for that. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Um, it's being heavily pushed. Now, I'm of the firm belief of choice. I think people have freedom to choose what they want to do. But it's not being presented that way right now. Uh, I think the heavily used word is mandate. Sure. Um, what are your feelings on, on that? Like, basically pressuring people hey, if you want to make a living you have to do what you have to put this into your body knowing that me and you are more on the holistic side of health taking charge building strong body immune systems to this type of uh disease do you want me to be honest or do you want to be uh politically correct here oh, be honest i don't give a fuck <laughs> <clears throat> like so again Call me a conspiracy theory if you want, but I speak in facts just to be yeah. fair. This is not a health pandemic. This is a war on consciousness. Yeah. And if you understand that this is a war on consciousness and you step out of the fear bubble that has been created, you can then make logical, strategic decisions. Okay, so governments have been controlling populations for a thousand years. Yeah. Once they realized that they could use different techniques to manipulate, control, they did it. And to be fair, just to talk out of both sides, yeah. in large groups, you know, communities, um, civilizations, there does need to be some control, right? If it's just absolute chaos, then we have a real problem. Right? Yeah, then, then it's going to be like, it would be, it'd be like Seattle during the last year when they had the... <laughs> right, right. So, so, so if you understand that this is a war on consciousness, what I mean by that is your consciousness is your creative thought. It's, it's like where you're present to. 
it's partly where your intuition lies. Yeah. And if you understand that people's consciousness is being challenged so that they're making decisions based on what they're told to do and not what feels right to them. Yes. You know, and since the beginning of this whole thing, you know, I've had hundreds of people literally ask me, what do I think of? And we won't use the term, you know, for the reasons why you mentioned, yeah. you know, what are we, getting this, getting that. And my answer would always be the same. It's, well, what do you think about it? Yeah. You know, does it feel right to you to believe in all of this, to follow the mandates, to do everything? If that feels truly right to you, then I would support you yeah. 100%. Same, the, same. The, the flip side, though, is, as I'm sure you've had a lot of people coming to you looking for validation when they say, well, I follow the mandates, but it didn't feel right to me or I don't agree with it. Well, to me, now you're out of integrity with yourself. Yeah, I have a lot of friends who, unfortunately, they were f their work was forcing them to. Totally. And they didn't want to. Like, consciously, they, you know, they, and I think the, the other term that could be used correctly is critical thinking. They used their critical thinking abilities. They did their own research, I guess. They made their decision in terms of risk reward. Yep. They didn't want to. But they were put in a situation where, you know, I've had, I have a friend who his, his wife is pregnant with their, I think, a third kid. Yeah. Tons of student loans doing what he did, getting out there. And they, he had no choice. Right. It's either that or get fired. And, you know, he was asking, you know, we had a little group chat going with a bunch of other guys. And he was asking us, you know, what is opinion? And I said, I basically said, I'm like, dude, you have to do what's best for your family. But you also have to be able to look in the mirror and be happy with the person staring back at you. If you can do that, if you could make that decision and you're happy with the person staring back at you, then all the power to you, I support you 100%. But just make sure that when you make these decisions to do these things, it's something that you actually want to do, not because, like I, I told my wife and I'm perfectly happy would have to give up everything in, in, in our life to not be forced to do anything. I'm perfectly happy to do that. And I'm not just talking about, you know, vaccines and you see how I did that with the wax. I like that. I like that. <laughs> not just I'm talking sure about. Have, I'm sure they have that as a keyword too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, not they about, do now. I'm not just talking about vaccines and stuff. I'm talking about every, anything. I'm, I, I'm sure, you know, you've known me for a while. I'm the kind of person who, you know, good luck trying to control me. Right. If you tell me what to do, I won't do it. But if you ask me nicely. I'll consider it. I'll think about it and I'll consider it. So, and I'm sure there's thousands and thousands and thousands of other Canadians and Americans and North Americans just like me. Well, but I'm at the, I'm at the point now where I just don't like being told what to do. So I won't do it if you tell me what to do, but if you present the facts and let me make a decision based on myself, there you go. We're good. Right. But that's not how things are working out right now. You know, I would frame something different that you said earlier, you know, this idea of like, people don't have a choice. I don't, I like to speak that way. You know, I think that we always have a choice. We always have a choice. Yeah. It's a matter of what consequences are you willing to deal with, with the choices that you're going to make? Yeah. You know, I've had friends that are, I've been against the whole thing, but again, 
their jobs were at risk. They were going to get fired, let go. They need that job or they spend their whole life getting that job, et cetera, et cetera. And they still wanted to do that job. Yeah. So at the end of the day, they chose to go in the direction they chose. And this is how I coach them through it. They chose to do it because of the reasons, not they had no choice and they did it because you will suffer with that thinking for the rest of your life. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So it's important that we understand that like, you're going to choose what you choose. And if you, it's all about empowerment, brother. Like we've talked about that, you and I a lot as coaching. It's all about empowerment. So we communicate to our people of how to help them empower themselves to make the decision that makes them powerful, not disempowers them and strips their power away. Yeah. And I feel like that, I mean, that's pretty much what's going on right now throughout the world and throughout Canada. I don't know if you saw what's happening in Austria this morning. They basically mandated it for the entire population. So if you don't get it by February 1st, you're going to jail. Right. Which, I mean, I don't have to say that. That's fu- It's fucking ridiculous. But I, I mean, haven't seen that. I don't follow. Yeah, I mean, I follow it because I, I'm an investor and I like I, I I need to know what's going on around the world because it's sure sure it's some of the stuff we invest in, but um, I mean, it's gotten to a point now where when I get home at night, I, I don't I don't check anything anymore no. uh, because there was a certain point in time where it became so infectious in my head that it was all I was thinking about. And it was not only affecting me, it was affecting the relationships around me and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to turn that stuff off because, I mean, I mean, you've coined the term flamingo neck, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, the the reason you get flamingo neck is because people are glued to their phones. They're always, the, the, the benefit of technology has made it, um, impossible to escape from the realities of this last two years almost. Right. And, uh, I think the the and that's one of the, the the shitty things about technology is that it's always on and it can always this information is always coming to you at so many different angles and some people just can't turn it off like you uh I have a hard time dealing with you know cyberbullying when people talk about cyberbullying sure okay I I have a hard time with that term because for me, it's like if someone's pissing me off online, I delete the comment and then I turn it off and then it's gone. But for some people, it's not that easy, right? And uh, how do human beings in this, this technological age kind of, how, in your opinion, how, how do they navigate through that if they are struggling to separate themselves from technology to make their health and well-being better because it's affecting it? But that's probably like a, a longer answer than we might have time for. But let, let me give you some framework. So I had said earlier, this is a war on consciousness. And con- war on consciousness is about control. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier. And we're in an era now where control is at its peak ability. Before, when, when we were younger, like we only really had TV and the radio and the newspaper. Yeah. And these are all scripted, scripted information to drive behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Scripted, scripted information to drive behavior. But now we have these like cyborg devices, which I call them, because you're if you hold a phone in your hand, you're now officially a cyborg, right? Because yeah. 
the extension of the human self is a digital self where you ask me a question, I don't know the answer, I can get it to you in like 20 seconds. Yeah. Right? Because because of that. So again, before you can make a real shift, you have, in my opinion, you have to have a foundation of understanding. Yeah. Okay. I got you. So if you understand that being on social media, being on your device what that's doing to your literally your physiology your internal chemistry yeah and you don't have to know it the way i know it you know deep understanding you just have to have a general idea that every time you pick up that phone or that tablet or whatever there's a little physio there's a little chemical thing that's happening in your body yeah and that's the addiction factor Yes, 100%. Okay, so don't be fooled. Your phone, your tablets, they are designed by very intelligent people. Smartest to, people on the planet. Yeah, the smart people on the planet. To get you to pick it up, but also to get you not to put it down. Yeah, and, and before you continue, this yeah. is one of the, like, Steve Jobs, the guy who invented the iPad, yeah. didn't let him use then let his kids use the iPad. Correct. For that very reason. I'll get back to that later, but continue. <laughs> Sorry. Correct. And Steve Jobs never put his phone up to his head. That's another thing. And Steve Jobs has been celebrated as a hero when potentially he has, could be charged with crimes against humanity. Exactly. But that's a whole nother conversation. Whole nother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like this general understanding first, because for people, it's hard to make a decision if you don't have all the information. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah, fair enough. You start to understand that, like, your device is an addictive platform. And I'm like, well, are you an alcoholic? People are like, no. Like, why are you not an alcoholic? Because that's really bad. Okay, well, you're, you're a phone-aholic or yeah. a social media-aholic. I hate those terms. I just made them up and they sound <laughs> terrible. But it's just for reference, right? And, like... Watch them start trending tomorrow. A hundred percent. hundred percent. So it, it's, that, that is drawing you in and... In order to get off of those things, we need to teach people how to become present. Yes. And that's because one of the when things you're too far, yeah, yeah. When you're too far ahead of yourself or you're too far behind yourself, it's really difficult to make a real decision. Yeah. When you're present and you have a general understanding of the consequence, we talked about before, the choice, yeah. what are the consequences of the choice? Now you have absolute power. Now you, if you want to pick up your phone, hey man, pick it up, do your thing. You have power of choice. But if you don't want to pick it up and you understand why, then now you also have power to not to. Does and that kind of make sense? It makes sense. Well, I was going to, because you've told me this before. Yeah. I remember uh, it was when I believe I had the ACL surgery done. Yeah. And I re injured the knee and then I healed it back up and I was ready to go. And I, I think we were talking about how I was always, I'd be in certain situations where someone would be grabbing a leg or whatever. And I'd always be thinking about my knee and totally. my knee being hurt. And I, and you, you've told me this before and I remember, and I remember the specific incident because it changed my perspective in terms of training and competing and, and fighting. Cause I remember I was sitting on the mat and Coach was showing us tech, a technique or whatever. Then we were going to go spar, right? And the whole time he was coaching, instead of actually listening, I was thinking about my knee. I'm totally. like, oh, man, we're about to go spar. Is my knee going to hold up? I'm a little tired today. I'm a little... And then 
I thought to myself, I'm like, wait, Coach G told like none of this shit has happened yet. As far as being present right now, Manny is perfectly 100% healthy. It's 100% ready to go. I have no problems. I'm just making up stories in my head to either talk me out of doing it or to make me think that there's something physically wrong with me when there wasn't. And it was in that specific moment where I, I would say it changed my, um, my thoughts on injuries because I've had injuries after that. And I didn't have that same apprehension anymore because it was like, I've torn my pack, I've torn my Achilles, especially this Achilles. You would think with an ankle injury that's significant like that, you would be apprehensive, like sparring. I had no problem this time, even re-engaging in, in sport, even doing the same thing that toured in the first place. I, I was very confident two or three months after the surgery to just do it just because I wasn't making up those stories in my head anymore. I was being present, being in the time. And presently, I'm 100% healthy. I'm 100% okay. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, well, the government has done a good job of taking people out of being present. Correct. Presently, you're 100% healthy. You're 100% okay. You shouldn't be afraid of things until you're actually physically sick, ill, dying, keeled over like until that point of time live life is in the present and so i mean thank you for that i mean that was years and years and years ago but i mean it's true if anybody is doubting you that it's 100 percent true and everything that you're talking is true because i've used that advice to push past some of my own personal issues yeah even like you just said a second ago in the present, when the things are happening, you don't need to be scared either or fear for it. But hold on. for Let's go back because I'll give your, your audience like that real quick framework because it's, it's one of the main things that I teach as a coach. It's this timeline of like you're either in the present, you're living in the future, or you're living in the past. And we will constantly slide along that timeline. And most commonly when we live in the future – we live in this state of anxiety. Yes. Right? And I'll give a perfect example that you already brought up today. When we live in the past, we often live in a state of self-doubt. Yeah. So I'll give the two examples that you brought up, okay? You said in Austria, as of February 1st, everyone has to get their whatever or else consequences. Yeah. That's future-driven anxiety of like, oh my God, that's going to happen there. Is that going to happen here? What's going to happen? What's coming? What's happening? Very anxiety-driven, yeah? Yeah, I agree. And we have zero control in that timeline. No. Good. Then the past. We go to the past. You were sitting there on the mat listening to the, the coach. You're thinking about the past of the injury that you had and how that happened and all that you went through. And it's this area of self-doubt. Yes. And then as you mentioned, how I bring that together is when you come to the present, none of those things are happening. Yeah. They might have happened. They may happen in the future, but they're not happening. And when they're not happening, you can make clear, powerful decisions of how you want to project yourself, how you want to show up, who you want to be yeah. in the moment, because that's really the only time you exist, right? 
Yeah. And in your opinion, is that how champions are made? Like the best people in the world at what they do, sport or non-sport, whether it be in the boardroom, whether it be um, in, in the octagon or the ring or the field, do you think that the best, the, the people who can be present and focus on that singular task that they're given to do are the ones that pretty much separate the one percenters, you know what I mean? Yep. So you would yeah. say, Oh, so there's always the uh, people who are just really lucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. you know, because just because you're successful, it doesn't mean you're the best. In my opinion, it yeah. just means you you made it, you survived it. But generally speaking, the people who are the most successful, even whether they know it or not, they're the ones who are able to. I keep sounding like a broken record, but I don't know if kids don't know what a record is anymore, I can't even use that reference. <laughs> I keep repeating myself. When you come back to that present, you can make the decision that's right in front of you, right? So what do I need to eat? Okay, it's time to eat. Let me focus on eating. Okay, eating's done. Okay, it's time to rest. Let me put my energy into resting. Okay, it's time to train. Let me put my energy into training. It's time to compete. Like It's what's right in front of me is what I keep focusing on, and that allows me to execute instead of like, man, I wake up. It's, you know, it's Monday morning. Like, shit, I got training twice a day. I got this on two. I got, they kind of think of too many things. There's the anxiety. Well, I, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. There's some yeah. days where I wake up and I'm extremely exhausted. I'm like, I got, you know, six clients today. I got, I'm planning to train twice. And then before I even get out of my bed, I'm overwhelming myself. And it, I mean, it's something that I personally, like I'm comfortable talking about it because I'm sure other people go through it. It's something I'm working through myself where I'm like, let me just get through the first one. Let me get through the first half of the day. And if, uh, you know, my body's not responding, you know, second time is optional. We'll see. But I'm not going to try and talk myself out of it before the day even goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, something, there's an important concept that I, I teach as well, if you understand it. It's, you kind of mentioned, and we've talked about it before, is, is your story. Yeah. Right? If you understand that people speak in stories and your stories determine your state of being. And like, I, I learned this concept many years ago in this, this workshop that I was taking, and it was a super intense workshop. They designed it in a way to exhaust you, to break you down, to yeah. see how you respond. It's almost, it almost was like, like buds, like Navy SEAL training, to be totally honest with you, for the <laughs> mind. Yeah. And, you know, it was like the third day in, sleep deprivation, long hours, all, all of that. And of course, my story is, oh, I'm tired because... I didn't sleep the last two nights. This at every reason to quit to be tired. And as soon as I learned this concept in that moment, and I dropped all of the reasons of my story. And to be fair, all of those things were true. I wasn't making them up. Yeah. They were all true. But as soon as I dropped them and let them go, the fatigue was gone. Yeah. Like I literally was like, where did it go? I'm not tired anymore. Yeah, And that's a bit of what we call flow state as well in, in performance. When I'm ultimately present, my flow state is like endless. My energy is endless. My ability is infinite in that state. So yeah. if you can understand that concept and you can drop the stories, you, you're infinite possibility in my opinion. Yeah. And, I'm, and one of the things that like, the kind of relates to that is 
I believe we spoke about this before where I had the, we've I've had this issue and tons of athletes have this issue where they wake up and they're just not motivated to get to the gym. Mm-hmm. Right. They're just like, huh. And I think there's, it's, it's like you said, it's the story that people create that motivation, this thing called motivation is something that is needed to drive you to do things. And I like since we've had that discussion and I've done some work on it myself, I realized that motivation is not the end all be all, right? It, there's going to be days where regardless of your job, you're just absolutely not motivated to do it. You're not motivated and you're going to tell your story and then you're going to you tell these stories in your head about why and whatever and I'm tired bullshit and I'm not going to go today or whatever. But you don't have to be motivated to be great. You just have to show up, in my opinion. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've I've shown up where it took every ounce of fiber of me, regardless if it was to the gym or to to a client or whatever. And then when I got there, it was easy peasy. It was like another day at the ballpark. But it's that whole thing that you need motivation to do things, which I don't. You do, but you don't. You know what I mean? Well, okay, let, let me, <laughs> this is a big, this is a big topic that I, that I work on. Right. And yeah. I work with, it's a word that we erase from our athletes vocabulary. Yeah. Is the first thing. If you really want to break it down, if you understand what motivation means, it means a motive for action. Yeah. Okay. That's what that word actually means. And people have taken that word. And they've misconstrued it to meaning energy to do something, mm. which is not a motive for action. Yeah. You understand? So, yeah. so this is a separation. People have mixed the word motivation with what we call like willpower. Yes. And they're not the same thing. So because motivation has baggage, meaning people already think it means this way, we kind of get rid of it. I'm going to educate people on this for a second. Yeah, go for it. It's actually not a bad term if you really know the real meaning. Like I just told you, it's a motor for action. Yeah. Willpower is having the energy to make the decision. Okay, gotcha. And as the week or the day goes on, your energy to make decisions decreases. Yeah. Easy to decide what you want for breakfast, difficult to decide what you want for dinner. Always, always. Right? <laughs> we know, right? We would suggest train in the morning. Because it's easy to decide to train in the morning. The longer the day goes, the less energy you have to make the decision. Because what you understand is people, we are making thousands of decisions all day long. All day, yeah. So the the energy bank of decision making is draining throughout the day. Yeah. So if you're trying to make important decisions at night, forget about it. Unless like, there's chronotypes. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Chronotype just means like some people do better in the evening, some people do better in the morning, whatever. If you understand chronotypes, maybe for some people it's the reverse. Yeah. But I'm just going to speak general for a second. Yeah. So now that we understand that, get rid of that word motivation. You know, like I actually think I had a client who wanted to work with me the other week and they said, would I motivate them when they fall off? And I said, absolutely not. We don't use that term. And yeah. I never heard from them again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so like this idea of instead of using motivation, what we do is we coach level or degrees of importance. 
Yeah. So we create a value proposition. There's, there's really like, if you want to understand behavior on a really deep level, which is what I commit my life studying is there's your behaviors on the lowest level above that is your values above that is your beliefs. And then above that is like your personality. Yeah. If you understand those things, behaviors are driven by values, which is driven by beliefs. Let's just remove personality for right now because it's not something we, we really work on. Yeah. If you want to commit to something, let's just say like you want to prepare yourself for a fight. How about we use that reference because yeah. it's relevant to you. Before you were going to fight, I would really sit down and be like, how important is this to you? Like, really, how important is it? Is this you want to do something because you want to be cool? You want to have something to post on social media? <laughs> you want to be acknowledged by other people? If it's yeah. any of those things, forget it because you'll be disappointed and you won't compete. You well, won't finish. Those are the guys that help us build our records up. So Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know, if you really want to do it to test yourself, to challenge yourself, to see if you can do something that 99.9% of the people on the planet would never even attempt to do yeah. And we could get clear on that. Okay, we we got that. Like that's a real challenge. And then then we have to kind of go into the belief system. It's like, what is your belief about the process or what it's gonna take for you to get there? Yeah. Do you believe that you can do it? Do you believe that it's gonna be difficult? Do you believe that you'll be willing to take the importance of it and bring that higher than the difficulty level? Yeah. Now, when we frame it that way, when you don't want to train, I would just say, dude, you, is it important enough to you to train? Exactly. And it's so easy. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're tired or not. If it's important to you, you will do it. And the best example for humans, you know this, you know it better than I do, to be honest with you. You got two little ones. Yeah. If they are important to you, when they're crying at 3 a.m., you get up. You're going to get up. Not because you want to, not because you have the energy, not because you're motivated for fuck's sakes. It's because it's important enough for you to do it. Yes. And uh, I mean, and here's a good example of how I, how I to just expand on what you just said is it's very easy. Like somebody in my situation, you have two, two babies, uh, growing kids. You got, you got your own business, you, you know, your wife's got her own thing, business too. It's very easy to make an excuse not to, you know, show up, right? So like my example to everybody is every Tuesday, my wife has to be in the office and working, right? Which means I'm on dad duty. I got two of these little shits that I have to take care of. Now I have the option of just staying home and taking care of them, which I do sometimes because, you know, sometimes you, you just, you, it is what it is. But more often than not, it's more important to me in, to get their ass ready, get them out, and I take them to the gym with me. And it and it's incredibly hard. It's not an easy process to get three human beings ready for an hour and a half workout. It's it's incredibly hard. It's tiring. It's frustrating. It takes hard enough getting yourself ready. Dude, I, I know. I know. It takes. A lot of time just to get them ready out the door, make it on time. Half the time, I don't make it on time. And then when you leave, you're already tired from doing whatever you're doing. Then you have to get them ready. And, and then you get home, and you're like, I just want to sleep. And people are like, and a lot of people will look at that situation or look at, and they're like, I have kids. I can't do this. I can't. 
But for me, it's so important to me to be there, not just because of fighting and I got to train hard, but I also find it important for my kids to see me doing the thing I love to do all the time, no matter what, no matter what happens to me, like whether I'm injured, whether I'm tired, whatever. Daddy dragged your ass to the gym so that he can do the thing he's passionate about, work on it, work on a skill because it's important to me. And that's the only reason I drag my kids to the gym with me. Not because I think it's cool, not because I can't get childcare. I could easily ship them off to my parents' house or my wife's parents. I do it because it's important for, for me to be there and it's important for my kids and other people to see me take this step. And what I've the feedback I've gotten is I've actually motivated. Here's other guys have said I've I've inspired them to do the better word. That's a better word. Do the same, right? And so now what what I'm seeing is other people are bringing their kids to the gym too, just because they saw me do it, and they're like, "Yeah, I want him to. I want him to see me do this work. I want him to see me pursue my passions." And it's almost like sometimes we have a daycare in there, but it's not that you can't. They can't find other solutions. It's because it's so important to you. You just find a way to do it. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I just, that's what I just spoke about. Yeah. Right. And, and it's funny. I, I still tell legendary stories of you coming in, bringing your kids, setting up the playpen and just going to work. And like, I, I still do. I use, I use you as that a reference when I talk to people about difficulties. And hey. let me give you like a really important insight too, that, you know, I'm pretty sure you already know just the way you're speaking, but it's important for everyone to understand this kids from like zero to seven are like buying a computer with no operating system in it. Yeah. So everything that's happening to them during that age is like you're downloading operating systems into those kids and what they see and what they experience and the energy. I'm a big guy on energy. You know, I think you know that. Yeah. The energy that they're exposed to is building their development. And if you're doing things like that and you're taking them out and they're seeing the, you know, the challenges you're going through and what you're pushing through, that's setting them up for this future success. When we just like nurture them too much. And that's what happened in my, that's what I'm seeing in this now currently with a lot of the younger kids coming up. Yeah. They've been coddled too much. They've been nurtured too much. They've been protected too much. 100%. Yeah. And they, they're not going to get into what we call the warrior phase, which is the hero's journey of our development. They're always going to stay in the child, the infant phase where they depend on everyone else to give them what they need to survive. And it's actually going to be a bleak future, in my opinion, because yeah. even more so, there'll be much less leaders and many more followers, which creates a, a very dangerous environment for the future. Just to like one of the things that to expand on what you said to a good example of it is like, since uh, my daughter was tiny, I noticed, you know, if you're at the park and one of the kids falls, the parent goes running. Yeah. And I understand that reaction. I really do. Um <clears throat> Because you're concerned. You're concerned about the well-being of your child. Their of course. Whatever. But that approach I have taken and it's been super successful is as long as she's not bleeding, yeah. I tell her, shake it off. And she physically will go like this. 
<laughs> shake it off and she'll walk. Like I've, I've, I've implanted that into her. So like even on uh, this past Tuesday, she was at the gym. We had a small turnout for pro training. So one of the coaches, they were literally playing tag with her while we were training in the ring. They're playing. She was running, and then there was like a lip in the wall where the wall comes out. She didn't yeah. know. It was like, boom! Smashes her head. Right. Yeah. She starts crying. You know, coach is feeling bad. He's like, "Oh shoot, Ashton's gonna get mad." I look over. She's crying. I'm, I'm like, "Come over here." I'm like, "Oh, you're not bleeding. Shake it off." Yeah. Is she bleeding? No. Keep <laughs> some going. Parents, some parents will call it insensitive. I call it. I'm not gonna feed into that energy. That's that negative. Something terrible happened. Yes, you're in a little bit of pain. Yes, but. You know, from my life experience, you're not gonna die. You're not. You're not gonna like. So for me to hug you and to be until you calm down, you know, I understand some parents want to do that, and in some certain situations, it is necessary. But that's not one of them. But I see it all the time, and like you said, it's gonna build weak character for kids. Every time something negative happens to them, they're gonna be looking. Where's the adult? Who's gonna hug me and make me feel better? When really. You don't need a hug and feel better. You just need to, you know, shake it off and move on, right? Well, here's an important thing for people to understand that children speak the language of energy. Yes. I'll say that again. (laughs) Children speak the language of energy. So if you're just showing up with this great energy, they fall and your energy isn't what you're, which is exactly what you're saying. I don't care. You're like, I care. And because I care so much about your future and how you develop, that's yeah. I'm like, come on, get up. Let's go. Let's keep going. Like, you're good. I'm showing you love. If you fell and I turned and walked away. That's a different story. And I didn't even acknowledge you or even give you any sort of energy. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. And most times when parents rush to their kid. It's their own fears that are now being transmitted onto the child. When I say I speak to the language of energy, fear, optimism, positivity, negativity, like they're feeding off of that. And people have no idea how children communicate. They communicate through energy. And once you understand that, you can be very strategic and aware and conscious of how you communicate with your actions, your behaviors, and your energy around kids. Well, and, and it's what you just said is quite evident this day and age, especially. I want to. I'm comfortable talking about this publicly because I don't care. One of the things I've done. <laughs> one of the things I'm very proud of me and my wife for doing is, I mean, we're lucky. My kids are so young where they don't have to be at school and stuff like that. Yeah. One of the kids I. One of the things I've done is, I have not. And I will, I take pride in this. I'm, I, it seems weird. People will probably judge me for it. I don't care. I have not put a face mask on my child for the entire pandemic. The reason being is because I do not want her to feel that fear. I don't think that it's appropriate for her, given the data that I, I, I have and the decisions that we've made as parents for this child, that it is a risk for her. And mm-hmm. I don't want her putting that thing on her face, thinking that, that she should be scared of something sure. all the time. Because like you said, it's an empty computer with no operating system. Correct. Now I put that in at the tender age of three. How do you think that's going to go for the next five years? It's not going to go well. You know, the next time somebody sneezes at school 
And when all of this is over and there's no more, you don't have to wear the mask anymore. She's going to be looking at well, something sneak like, like it's uh, something. And I'm, and it's, it sounds weird, but I'm actually like strangely proud of it because it's actually incredibly hard to do. See it when, when you're in a city like Toronto and, and it, it breaks my heart sometimes because I have the, the you'll see it, it's like a two-year-old and they put the mask on and all you can see is a little eyes. And I'm like, that's not, that's not living for them. You know what I mean? And given the, if the circumstances were different, if this thing affected them the same way it did say the elderly, you know, I could have some justification and understanding why, but I take pride in that because I don't want her to feel that fear. I'll play the game certain places. I'll play the game. I'll put a little thing on my face. I'll play the game, but I don't want her to see that fear. And I don't want her to that, that coding to be put into her brain and that become normal. You know what I mean? Oh, I do know what you mean. Yeah. Because I, I'll give you another example. I have um, <clears throat> uh, a child, uh, my, my in-laws, their child, she went to kindergarten for the first year. And what they noticed was she was having a hard time exp- uh, reading facial expressions because she spent the whole day in the classroom with the teacher wearing the mask. So when she got mad at her kid at home or she was happy, the kid always looked confused because they spend six hours, whatever, in the day in the classroom, they're not seeing facial expressions anymore. Mm-hmm. And for kids, that's primarily how they read and learn, right? Is facial expressions because they don't have full language and communication tools that so so I mean it's one of the it sounds weird and some some people will think I'm an asshole for saying, but it's one of the things I take great pride in is that throughout these two years I've sheltered her from those things as best as I can so that it doesn't become a part. I don't want her to think that this is normal because it's not. You know what I mean? It's funny. I was talking to someone the other day and something I was going to post on social media, you know, I don't post that often, but if I post something, it's probably important, right? Yeah. That even though I'm not shocked, there's a big part of me that is still shocked that more parents of young children going to school are not outraged and fighting back against wearing masks all day at school to these young children. And it just, it just goes to show me something that I obviously believe in is that our education system is not designed to educate you to have a successful life, just to be very clear. Yeah. It's designed to, and I keep using words like a crazy person, but maybe I am, to program and indoctrinate children 100%. to function in society as adults in a certain way. If it was designed to educate, we would learn more about the soul. We would learn more about the mind. We would learn more about finances. We would learn more about how to really understand your consciousness and your subconsciousness. But that doesn't happen. So most parents don't understand these things either. And they don't understand that, like I said, between like zero and seven, is prime development years and masking children during that time is the mental health issues the the self-esteem issues the management of fear in the future is going to be a huge huge problem and you kind of touched on mental health in the beginning we started talking today and we can talk more about that if you want yeah the fact that 
they don't see that. And to be fair, the cost, remember, there's always a choice. The cost of not wearing a mask for children, which we've seen, is like their risk is like zero, basically. It's pretty much zero. It's pretty much zero. But remember, the powers that be will keep spinning things. I think the new thing is now. But now they can pass it to adults. They can be carriers or whatever the nonsense, you know, agenda or their story is. The fact that this is going on is shocking to me, but at the same time, not shocking because I understand programming. I understand psychology on a very deep level. So I kind of just step back and be a little more saddened than disappointed that people are not awake, quote unquote, to what's going on, especially with the kids now. And I mean, that's one of the, like Canadians are the first to criticize the U S and Americans, but that's one of the things I admire about Americans is I do see quite a bit of pockets, especially in certain parts of America where the kids are standing up for themselves. I believe it was in California where they basically, they put all their book bags down in front of the school. And they said, if you mandate stuff, if you do that, we're not coming back to school. Right. Yeah, There's been a lot of movements. Like Florida's had some movements, a bunch of these places. And um, it's one of the things that, you know, as much as I love being a Canadian, it makes me a little sad seeing it because like you said, like, these are your children. These are the future. This is like, I know it sounds cliche, right? They're the future. Yeah, of course they're the fucking future. They're, they're the kids. But it's important for us to set them on the right path. And given this this time, and I don't think this time is going away anytime soon. Uh, it's not going to just be two years. This is going to drag it's a five-year on. process. Yeah, it's going to drag on for a very long time. So knowing the fact that it's five years, it's going to be five. And I don't think, I think that's one of the problems too. I think people are too optimistic. You know, the the lockdowns end, they think it's over. So it's not, it's not done, right? There's more powers to play here than just uh, a disease that, the, the disease was the catalyst to everything else. So knowing that this is a five-year process, you have to, as a parent and as an older, even a, even if you don't have kids, you, and you, but you have you know nieces, nephews, you have to know that you have to protect them from all these fears and all these things. That I'm, I'm having a hard time articulating it because you know it, I, it pisses me off, so to speak, right? But like I, I know that this is not. I can't just say okay the restrictions and the lockdowns and you know we're back to normal it's it's not back to normal the repercussions that it's going to have on the kids especially i don't care about me personally i'm i know that where i am as a human being i can make it through everything right but kids and you know teenagers especially and I, i think you've touched on this before with the hockey you know what i mean with the hockey leagues trying to mandate things for kids to 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 play a sport to just play hockey, now you have to do a medical procedure just to play hockey. That it's so outrageous. But some parents are just like, yeah, yeah, we got to do it. But I'm like, I, I personally, I would be like, hell no. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's just like you said, it makes me sad, so to speak. Because I mean, I know I'm in control of what I do in my house and my home and my family, but. Not everybody has that same confidence and the same thought patterns that we have, right? So not at all. And um, I mean, coming back to what we said about the iPads too, right? So when I was first bringing Aria to the gym with me, I would give her a uh, uh, tablet. Here's your show. 
leave me alone. And it worked because of the addiction factor, right? 100%. But what we noticed is um, at the start of the pandemic, she would wake up and ask for it because I was no longer taking her to the gym anymore because of the lockdown. Yeah. So she would wake up and ask for it. And so at the start, we would give it to her. And then I was starting to notice that she would sit there and watch the tablet and then have the TV going at the same time. And then if you change the screen on the TV, she would yell, even though she had, and it was a complete addiction. So what we did is totally just take the tablet away, got rid of it. Battery's dead, didn't charge it, done. And behavior changed immediately. And, it, and then, like you said, it's like an empty operating system. We, I, I wiped the operating system clean. And now I don't get, where's the tablet? Daddy, she called it Daddy Tabby. Yeah, yeah. I take her to the gym. She's got her coloring book. She's got her tracing books. She's got her papers. I bring, she brings her boxing gloves. Do one of those things. Occasionally, you might get the tablet if, you know, you know, we run out of the house and whatever. Like my son now, I'm bringing him. I took him with me uh, on Wednesday. And everyone's like, he's so good. And I'm like, because I gave him his snacks and his bottle. And I said, shut up and watch. <laughs> and he's just, he's just there living life. He's not staring at a screen or anything. I didn't give him the opera. Like I learned from my, my first kid totally. what not to do with the second one. And I'm not giving him the opportunity to get addicted to those kind of things. I'm not saying that technology is bad. Like it's valuable in some senses, but I mean, you, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Don't get me started on technology. <laughs> now one of the uh one of the things i wanted to talk to you about um is uh obviously you're very very big into nutrition and health and well-being and given the circumstances and the focus on health um i don't know if you were able to catch the podcast today with moira um but i haven't seen that one yet uh, one one of the things that we talked about is uh like diagnosing injuries and diagnosing conditions that people have, right? Sure. So whether it be nutritional deficiency, like a lot of people are having like, like gluten intolerances or, you know, you sprain your ankle at, at the gym or, or, you know, your back hurts from work is one of the things that people don't have is it's, it sounds a little, they don't have a medical team. Their first line of defense is always family doctor, right? Mm always, you know, walk-in clinic. And I'm, while I'm not putting those people down and those professions down, they're not specialists in their area or in their field. They're generic MDs. So what ends up happening is someone goes in because they have lack of energy. They're always bloating. They feel like crap. The first line of defense is obviously uh, an MD who's background isn't in nutrition isn't in anything else so they automatically diagnose them with something and then set them on the wrong path so i wanted to know from you is you know for me specifically i have you know people like you i have you know when i tore my achilles i went straight to my knee surgeon right i, I was able to contact him and then he got me the right people and i got the surgery right away now not everybody has that ability to do that but how important is it for like a person to be able to find the right practitioners for the right causes if you get what i'm saying yeah um 
it's it's obviously very important. Um, l- let me frame something a little different first. Yeah, and okay. then I'll spin back around because we're gonna. I want to keep some consistency of, of of what we've been talking about because I, I it's perfect time to give an example of something we've already talked about. Yeah, we talked about kids, you know, programming from zero to seven. At that age, what's a learned trait or a learned belief? I talked about member behaviors, values, beliefs. Yeah, is you know you get sick, you go to your family doctor, they diagnose, they prescribe, they send you home. What happens in that scenario is people are programmed that they have given the responsibility and power of their health away to a doctor. Yes. So the doctor is the gatekeeper of your health. Yeah. So I'm very, very much against that system. Yeah, me too, me too. Yeah. To be very clear, but people are so blind by that where what the doctor says is like gospel, so to speak. Yeah. Which is absolutely not true. So the first, now to answer, now we understand that, the first answer question, before you get a team around you, you have to get clear that you are the owner, the director, the president, the CEO health. of your own health. Yeah. And if you don't get clear on that, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, you won't go in the right direction. Yes, 100%. Right? So first and foremost, you got to take ownership, which I like to say stands for own your shit. Yeah. <laughs> and really, really take charge of that. Once you do that, because I guarantee you 99.9% of people, we like to use that, eh? 99.9, that's our number today. Because <laughs> that, that applies to every kid, yeah. every situation. Like 99.9% of people aren't even doing the basics that would even warrant them to go beyond that. So, for example, you know, an athlete might ask me or a new client, what's the best supplement for energy? Yeah. And I would say, how much water are you drinking? And they would look at me funny. Like, that's, that doesn't answer the question, coach. And I'm like, well, the supplement doesn't matter if you're not drinking water. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, I'm drinking this amount. I'm like, okay, cool. And then, like, can you answer my supplement question? And I'd be like, well, where is your water coming from? Would be my next question. Yeah. What is the source of your water? And they just be like, oh, can you just answer the question? I'm like, <laughs> no, because there's many more things that I know you're not doing that are more valuable to, in this case, your energy yeah. beyond a supplement. So what are you eating? Where is your food coming from? How often are you eating? How much water are you drinking? Where is your water coming from? I mean, as you know me, I'm crazy on like sources of yeah. food, water. Like, I'm crazy on that stuff. You know, what does your sleep look like? What are the basic patterns that you can own? And then, you know, and you might need someone like me or you yeah. to get people thinking that way. You know, so I think it's good to have like at, at least and generally one advisor quote unquote or coach yes who you can tr- who you trust who you believe in who 
has a really good understanding of, of the foundational stuff that you can refer to. And my, my rule with me is don't Google me, meaning don't Google everything I say. Is he correct? Is that true? Because we can get a hundred different Answer. opinions. However, it's confusing. It's paralysis by analysis. So yeah. for most people, having a really intelligent person who they can rely on, I think is great. And then generally speaking, that person has the network that you need. Okay, I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like I would be the guy, for example, as you know, I'm one of your coaches, that if we need to see a sports doctor, okay, I got my sports doctor. If we need to see like someone for IV therapy, we got that guy. If we need someone to do like an adjustment or some like osteopath work, okay, we, we got that guy. And then like we start to create this web. But I still think it's important that this is what I pride myself in is like you have kind of that one person who is that key advisor. You know, I work with a ton of athletes and yeah. you know, like, for example, hockey player, they have their hockey coach, they have their team's strength coach, they have their team therapist, they have all of that. And, and most of them are not very good as we would, as we know. It's so like, yeah. I'm the guy that like, let me help you put all those pieces together and really simplify everything and being like, Hey, let's this, 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 but I'm not telling you how to play hockey. For example, like let the hockey coach handle that. But who is that person that can kind of really help you? And that's why it's good to have someone in your space to your point like that. And someone who's willing to spend time with you. Yeah. And there's an exchange, there's a cost yeah. for their time, but you go to your family doctor they're trying to get you in and out that door as fast as possible so they can roll the next prescription. They got 10 minutes. That's, I believe that's the OHIP uh, equivalent for the doc. They have 10 minutes to meet. Like if, because of how little OHIP pays the doctors, that's how much they got to pump out, right? Right. And let's be clear that doctors are, and I'm not disrespecting doctors. You know, there are some great doctors and they serve a wonderful purpose, but they're in the sick care business. Yes. They're not in the health care business. Yes. Hundred right? Yeah. So like I actually went pre-med university. I was gonna become a doctor. That was my whole mission. Until I started spending time in hospitals and I realized this is sick care. And I want to do health and performance care. Yeah. So that's why I took the route that I took instead. Yeah. So like there that's not where you go where you want health and vitality. No, that's where you go when you're fucked up and you need help. Well, that's where you <laughs> go when the sickness is yeah inhibiting your ability to live live yeah right Did that yeah. answer the question sort of yeah it did yeah it did and uh and to expand on it a bit is like what i like um so i get this a lot too where people come to me with certain injuries or this hurts or that hurts or whatever and it's very similar to what you said i'll my my first advice would be like you know Try drinking some more, <laughs> drinking some more water, totally. getting some more sleep. And, and I don't like, I'm not comparing myself to, uh, to an MD by no means, but a lot of my, uh, experience and my ability to help people actually came from personal experience of hurting shit. Now, one of the benefits of mixed martial arts is that you pretty much fuck your whole body up at some point. So a lot of the things people come to like, uh, I'll, I use this example pretty, uh, pretty much is at a new client I, and I did boxing with her 
and we hit pats. And then three days later, she texted me. She's like, Ashton, since I saw you last, I can't move my arms. Everything hurts. I'm in so much pain. Sure. Um, should I go to the doctor? And I said, absolutely not. She's like, why not? And I'm like, was there a trigger mechanism? Like, was there a, a specific incident, a, a traumatic moment that caused this? And she couldn't answer that. And I'm like, no, there wasn't. Right. I know for a fact it was your first time doing boxing. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, and we're going to use this number again. I'm 99.9%. So overused now. We've ruined it. <laughs> your, your muscles are just really fucking angry at you for doing something brand new. And you just need to give it some time, drink some water, recover, maybe get a little sweat in there to get some blood movement on. And, I, and I'm pretty sure I'm 99.9%. Yeah, yeah. In like two days, you're going to feel fine. And lo and behold, she did. But my point of saying that story is her first line of defense was, should I go see the family doctor? Right. This just proves my point is that through our programming, the doctor holds the ownership of our health. And I don't, when I say our, that does not include me. I'm not in that world, me neither, me but, but 99.9, dude, we've lost all credibility on the 99.9. <laughs> um, we're you know, we're here, spreading here, misinformation here, now. Yeah, yeah, we're just conspiracy theorists. But, you know, I got to really also mention one thing, you know, you're saying through your experience and, and the stuff you've done. To be really good at what you do, you also have to recognize that not everybody is the same. Yeah, And it's important that you meet people where they're at. 100%. Meaning what I give to this person might not be the same as what I give to this person. Yeah, And this whole idea, well, it worked for me, so it will work for you thinking too, is like really dangerous thinking. And it's really important to always treat people like an individual, to meet them where they're at, understand where they're at, and then start them from where they're at. Don't start them from beyond where they're at. Yeah. And that's uh for some reason I have just become the trainer of the elderly. So I got oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of older clientele which I'm absolutely fine with. And totally. one of the things that uh I had to like you just said is <clears throat> it's easy to take a blank slate like a 20-year-old sure. or a 19, 18-year-old who, you know, maybe doesn't have a lot of fitness experience and you know make them fit sure it's very to me that's the easiest ideal scenario you give me a blank slate whether they be obese or you know a little overweight no problem right you got a, a generally healthy body to go now you talk about you know 60s 70s i have three 80 year olds i work with right yeah. i'm not like I, and i believe i've said this to pk before it's like it's very easy for someone to say, hey, do lunges and do squats and whatever. But for those people, those are not important things necessarily for their body and for preserving their lifestyle. For me, when I, <clears throat> anybody 70 and over that I work with, my because I have a, a background in long-term care, that was my first job out of university, my immediate attention is on fall prevention. Correct. Those people. Correct. I, I cannot make you strong in the legs, strong upper body, whatever, if you fall and break your hip. Right. But if you fall and break your hip, you're done. I've seen it. That's the reason I left long-term care 
this is because I did it for like three years, two and a half, three years. And I would make friends with people and they, I would come into work the next day. They would say, Oh, they fell. And within yeah. two months they're dead. Yeah. Right? Um, and for me personally, I couldn't handle that negativity at such a young age. Yeah, so, I get it. Yeah. But I took the lessons from it and I'm like, okay, if I'm going to make you, like I said, there's no, there's no limit to age. I don't think I, I, I hate when people say I'm too old to do this because that's bullshit. Like I, you know, many people, well, are, you know, it's, you know what? So BS is bullshit, which is also what we said is belief system. Yeah. And like, I, you know, many people, I, I'm like, you, you should start jujitsu because I, you know, it's the ignorant jujitsu thing, but it's like jujitsu solves everything. you know people i said you know healthy strong people i'm like you should start jujitsu because i really think it's a good fit for you like oh i'm too old for that i'm like fuck when immediately when they say i'm like fuck i'm okay i'm not talking to you about that anymore right but there's no i put no cap on exercise fitness and wellness in terms of age yeah only thing i do though is i cap how i approach each individual body so like I'm going to use my 80 year olds as an example. All three 80 year olds come from different walks of life. And, but first thing is first, I don't want them to fall because I know the consequences of that is dire. So I yeah. work on fall prevention, but, worry, then, yeah. but then where I go from there also depends on their body. I'm not going to put somebody like that into a huge lunge program and make them carry Like uh, it, I actually t- love training those kind of people because it challenges me more makes you think it makes me think so how do i adjust to meet their needs to get their body to a functional spot because they're not looking for performance they're not looking to run a marathon they're not looking to play a recreational sport. they're just looking to live pain free mm-hmm. and then it's my job to assess the body and say like so i that's where i rely heavily on feedback and one of the things i do a lot is my first question is how are you feeling today and i judge that answer i go in with like three different plans of how i'm going to approach that and when i get that answer i'm like okay now i know how i'm going to approach this session because i i take that feedback that initial feedback if someone's energy is low you know we might like there's some days where you do have to push through right but like then again you look at the body it's an 80 year old what am I going to push through? <laughs> right? I don't, I'm, I, if I push them through this, they're not going to be able to go and do play cards and do all the recreational activities they do. I judge it based on that. And then I adjust it based on their body of the day. Right. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of lost in the profession a bit where, you know, it's the old saying no two bodies are alike. Right. And I like to, I approach it that way with especially older people is i i stick to the basics and when you work out and when you do things it's to feel good it's not necessarily for high performance if you get what i'm saying yeah i'm with you and and i and then i take that same philosophy and apply it to younger people except younger people i give them the kick in the ass because if they're like (laughs) you know what i mean they need a bit of that yeah you need you need a bit of lacking now before I let you go, because I got to get out of here soon, um, yeah. I, I like to ask this question because I know 
uh, I know your background in sport and all that kind of stuff, but this, like every, every fitness pro, every wellness professional like yourself, I like to ask a question. What do you think in the entirety of the planet is the hardest sport for an athlete to, to participate in? Oh man. Yes. Well, I know it's very subjective, right? So, but, but what do you think is the hardest one? based on well i have to be careful because i could easily validate you you know <laughs> because you're looking for validation no, I'm, not, and, I'm, not, I'm not and as two guys who both have fought at a very high level you know i would often say that obviously fighting is one of the most difficult sports to do yeah. and so I am I am going to say fighting on one and I'm going to give I'm going to give two examples okay and I, I have to give two because it depends on the criteria of hardest Okay is okay. that fair Yeah it's fair yeah Okay so like PK and I we have these debates all the time right who's the best athlete of all time what's the hardest sport of all time etc cetera, etc cetera, right Yeah <clears throat> You know up until a few years ago I would have just said fighting instantly but this whole new wave that's coming of to the mainstream media which is not new but it's new to mainstream is free climbing these free solo mountain climbing stuff have you ever seen a movie free solo i haven't seen free solo no if you have not seen free solo everyone needs to watch it these are guys climbing these rock faces free solo means with no rope yeah so basically you can plummet to your fucking desk so so one mistake and you're dead yeah Understand? So if you want to say difficulty, we're, are we talking about what are the consequences of the sport? Then nothing trumps that because one mistake and the, the consequence is immediate death. death. Fair? Fair enough. Yes. Okay. okay. So now <laughs> you could argue that death is an easy thing to yeah. be fair because there's no more humility and ridicule or shame in death. <laughs> yeah. But fighting, on the other hand, it's the, it's the hero's journey. It's the warrior's path. Yes. And the preparation is extremely difficult. I think people complicate it more than any two, to be totally fair. 100%. And I've we've talked about that, and I've given you shit about that over the years. Yeah. And the execution of not, nowhere to hide, going into a ring or a cage, with literally nowhere to hide at the risk of severe injury and potentially death, to be fair. People have died, yeah. Yeah. Um, embarrassment, like I said, shame, all of these things. Well, again, with nowhere to hide. Nowhere. There's nowhere. So, 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 like, I'm not trying to validate you, but as also a <laughs> former fighter, I've often used fighting as a reference of if you were able to compete in, in a, and I hate to use the word fight, but in a contact or combat sport, yeah, you can do freaking anything with your life. 100%. Because you know, I used to I used to compete. You know, you know, I fought on a national team, fought on the pro am circuit, and I was working in the corporate world for a while, working in a, a sports company. And people are getting nervous going into a boardroom to give a presentation, and I just drove to New York City, fought in front of a few thousand people, drove back and went to work on Monday and my face is all mangled. 
And you guys, you're worried about giving a presentation. It's like yeah. the the whole point is, I'm not saying anyone's better than anyone else, but the more you can make yourself uncomfortable yeah. in your life, the easier your life will ultimately become. Yeah. You know, and it's that old like Bruce Lee saying, right? Hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. Hard life. Yeah. And to circle back to kind of what because I have a I have another sport too that I want to talk about, but I want to give this example to people is when shit gets like rough, like you know, like when you have a day, a shitty day, right? Where just one thing after the other, after the other, after the other, you're like, what more can go wrong? This fucking sure. right. I always because of my experiences in combat sport, I always circle back to this one thing, right? And the one thing is, is the worst position I can be in, in a fight, is full mounted. Get yeah. it? Like I'm full mounted, and I'm not on yeah, top. Yeah, yeah you're getting full mounted. You're, you're in the worst position. I'm absolutely exhausted. Meaning, like I am tired. I can't phys- Like I physically, there's lactic acid everywhere, and I'm sure every fighter. And every person who's experienced fighting has felt this feeling before where I'm in a position of complete dominance against a highly skilled person and they're pummeling my face in. They're pummeling my face in. Now, sometimes that happens in a fight. It's happened to me in a fight. Sometimes it happens in training. Yeah. Regardless of where it happens, it's the worst fucking spot because there's no way out until that person decides they want to stop until they yell yield like in fucking game of thrones or yell yield and it's over right until they decide to stop that won't end right and to me because of being in those experiences if i'm not in that experience i don't care anymore you know what i mean if that's not what's happening to me life is breezy so i'm able like like you said i'm able to take those that lesson and that physical that thread of physical, serious physical harm and in, in, in the real world where, you know, that's not the case. I'm like, well, life's not so bad. Right. But I will play. Here's another sport. I, I haven't. Wait, wait, let, let, before you jump ahead, yeah. you know, a piece of advice to people that I like to give is you've been given the gift of this amazing device machine, whatever you want to call it, this body. And also this mind and to not ever try to push it to a limit, to test it, to see what you can get out of it, to never do that is very disappointing and probably very unfulfilling in your life. And to be very clear, I don't think everyone should take up fighting and go fight in a ring or a cage. That's not for everybody, but maybe it's go and compete. You know, you have to compete, go and run, go and jump. Go and try to lift something. Go and try to endure mentally and physically. And what you get out of that is so more valuable than any pair of shoes or fancy car or watch or house or anything that you'll ever get. And you'll get so much fulfillment out of pushing yourself and and experimenting with being uncomfortable. Can I give me your sport? The sport I was going to say is Ironman. Yeah. Uh, um now like my old head coach he's take he's taking it up he's a fucking ironman now and he's yeah. doing and for me the i can barely do like six kilometers 
without feeling like shit. Like not saying I'm not in shape. I'm just saying where, you know, my mind says, okay, that's enough. Right now, now you say you got to do 20 plus kilometers, plus 30 kilometers ride, plus another 40 fucking kilometers swim. To me, that's the insanity level on that is fucking bonkers. Right. So, and it may not be as physically taxing as say like uh, a fight, but the mental capacity that goes into just being able to endure that length of physical activity, I find is one of, to me, one of the most challenging things in the world in terms of sport. Yeah. And I've, I've coached a bunch of triathletes over the years and I have all the respect in the world for that um if we want to debate <laughs> just for just for fun okay. I, i'm not a big person who debates i think people whatever you believe is true it's not a right or wrong conversation um the one thing i take out of the triathlete thing is you don't have an opponent yeah so there isn't this overcoming the slaying the dragon concept that's one thing yeah two in, in, in an Ironman, so to speak, you're primarily focusing on one energy system. In a fight, it depends how long the fight is, you're generally tapping into multiple energy one systems, system. yeah, yeah. which means the preparation is for fighting to prepare the different energy systems where in triathlon, I would still, with I work with them, I still do work on a different energy system, but it's very heavily loaded on one specific energy system. Yeah. So, like, not to crush your challenge. No, 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 no you're not crushing. I, I, the, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying the mental capacity to endure such a long. Oh, it, it's, it takes a special type of human yeah. being. It's not for everybody. Just like fighting is not for everybody. Yeah. It requires a certain personality trait. It also requires a certain. Oh, not to get woo-woo with the audience because they won't understand this, but different people are different energy sources. Yeah. So some people, for example, can generate energy. They're called generators. Like, yeah. they just need energy. They can make it. Someone like me who's not a generator, I'm kind of what you would call like a projector. I see, I lead. I have this great energy, but then I also need to kind of go back into my own cave, so to speak, and recharge. Yeah. I can't just make energy on a whim. I have to be very strategic with my energy. So again, it takes a certain type of of energy personality, so to speak, to be able to be successful at that. And and here's one before we wrap this up. Yeah. This just one of the things you were just saying before we talked about the triathlon thing. We we're putting your body through difficult things. There was like a quote. I'm going to butcher it right now, but sure. um, every day I wait. Like I'm 32 years old. Right. And I've put myself through the ringer already in terms of injuries and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, most people in my shoes, my positions would say, Hey, I'm going to start playing it safe. I'm going to yeah. preserve what I have. And I'm sure. gonna, okay. And I agree. There's certain things I need to preserve, like, you know, my brain, I got to preserve it. Right. But my body, fuck that. I like, when I say that, I don't say that, like I'm going to be reckless and just do what I'm saying is there's a quote in a, and I'm going to butcher it, but it was like, I don't want to arrive at my grave in a safely ensconced, beautiful, functional body. When I get to that point, when I get to my, my last day 
on this planet, I want to say, holy shit, what a ride. And, and that's how I kind of approach living. And that's how I conquer my fears. Like there's certain mornings I wake up where my knees, I'll tell you right now, they're trash, they're coach, they're, they're trash. They're like, you don't want to do anything today. But in my head, I'm like, Hey man, I rather have this feeling of my knees being a little achy and really sore. Um, because I've done stuff and I've pushed myself than saying, Oh, my back hurts because I was sitting all day and I was not doing, you know what I mean? I, that so if, when it comes back to what you said that challenging yourself, you know, for me personally, when I get to my last day, when, when, you know, I don't care what anybody believes, but when Jesus says it's my last day on this planet, I want to be like, Holy shit, what a ride. I don't want to say, eh, maybe I could have, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think <laughs> just, just, just to cap it off, if I can offer a suggestion, Go for I, it. I am one of your coaches, so I'm not out of line here. <laughs> I would always approach those, and I take that back. I'm not a big fan of using the word always, always, if you don't know that by now. All with things like always and never, if you hear people speaking that way, it's actually a very dangerous way to speak. Okay? Yeah. So I would often frame those things of be careful that you don't say the idea of like, I don't care. Yeah. And I'm just going to go ham, so to speak. Oh, I do, I do care. But it's right. So, like, hold on, hold on. It's this idea of, coming from a place of love meaning and that's how i handle all the things in my life i come from a place of love i put love into my body and yeah man i go hard on it i push it to its limits and i take not not but yeah and i invest a lot of time and energy and money if you want to call it that into keeping it healthy making sure it's not in pain all the time, making sure I'm not waking up feeling broken all the time. It's how am I pushing it super hard, but also I respect and love it so much yeah. that I want to make sure I'm doing things to make it strong because I want to be doing extreme quote unquote stuff. My entire life. My, till the end. Yeah. Like that day when you said when the ma- the maker calls or whatever you want to call it, whatever it is to you, yeah, I'd be like, I just got to finish this training session first, <laughs> and then, and then I'm good. Then we can go. Then we can go. You know what I mean? Like, and I want to be able to do that, you know, at a rel- relatively high level, always. Not yeah. get to the point where like I've destroyed it so much that I can't even do it anymore. Yeah. So that's the fine line. Yeah, and, and that that's that's sort of what I meant to. I didn't mean like yeah. I want to destroy myself and beat myself into the into a bloody pulp until I'm like I have nothing left. I, I mean, like, I mean like put yourself through hard stuff all the time, not just physically, mentally, emotionally, so that when you do get to that point, you can be like, "That was a fucking fun ride." Hundred percent. All right. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining me today. Uh, Coach, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, where they can seek you if they want uh, to enlist your services or just to, to reach out to you. Uh, how can they find you? Yeah, um, our website, which is strong-athlete.com. We don't own strongathlete.com, but if you search strong athlete, we'll come up yeah. uh, on social media at strong athlete. Uh, if you ever want to get a hold of me, you can find me through either one of those. Uh, your podcast, what, what? The Strong Athlete Life. 
And that's Spotify, iTunes, all of the platforms. And everywhere. So he's super, super knowledgeable. One of the best people on the planet in terms of knowledge and good person. So fucking find him, talk to him, follow his shit. Also, too, make sure you like and subscribe. Fucking people always tell me how they love what we're doing and what I'm doing. So then fucking show some love. Subscribe, like, because the more you guys do that, the more I can do and more I can bring. All right. Thank you, everybody for joining me today and that's it peace out everybody thank you for watching please do me a favor click the like below share on youtube share on instagram share on facebook spread the word so i can keep creating more content for you and keep providing you with a great podcast experience peace out